Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. Well, it looks like the progressive left finally got their scalp. They've sniped the popular Roseanne TV show. Now, to be fair, she didn't really help things with her tweets that she put out. Like when she called Chelsea Clinton, Chelsea Soros Clinton, which was kind of funny. But the one that was the kicker was the one towards Valerie Jarrett, basically saying if the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby, it would be Valerie Jarrett. Now, I'm not one of those people who think Roseanne is some sort of bastion of conservatism, because she's not, okay? She's not on our side. She's as conservative as Kanye West is, okay? Probably maybe as conservative as Van Jones, (laughs) Years ago, she was mocking the national anthem with her obviously purposeful, horrible rendition. She's posting pictures of her baking cookies in the shape of people, placing them in the oven while wearing a Hitler costume. Probably not in the conservative vein. You know what I mean? Probably not in that sphere. (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable. But this is where we are today. You know, somebody jumps to our, our side and a good collection of the conservative movement, or I don't even think they're conservative. I don't think they, they say they're conservative, but I don't think they understand what conservatism is. But they all glom on to this person because she has sided with the Trump administration in some of her tele- uh, television broadcast. And I mean, although she is far from conservative and more aligned, like I said, with Van Jones and other Marxists um, and progressives, her show was actually bringing much-needed conversations to the table. You know, I watched a few of these and every episode there was it was chocked full of some, you know, cultural discussions, some things that needed to be talked about. And of course, you know, whether or not she was tapping into the Trump cult for economic reasons is entirely possible. I mean, look what it did for Joy Villa. I mean, good gracious. Walk down the red carpet in a Make America Great Again dress. and next thing you know, you've got a career. So there have some there have been some people that have profited off of the Trump wave. And so maybe she was thinking she would do that. I don't know. She did seem to kind of get tired of what we dealt with for the last eight years. So maybe there's that. But, you know, whatever the case may be, the left wanted to portray her show as strictly pro-Trump. But, I mean, she had a consultant by the name of Wanda Sykes. Yeah, the LGBTQ comedian who is black and is definitely a leftist. Whitney Cummings comedian who was also a writer on the show she's not exactly on the conservative side either i think she's a little bit on the left but they had episodes like the muslim neighbor which was pretty funny it was basically roseanne sees this muslim family move in next door she sees that they've got a big stack of fertilizer she's freaking out thinking that they're going to use the fertilizer in a terrorist event which her sister's saying you are crazy Her daughter is saying, you're nuts, mom. And then they needed to use the Wi-Fi to Skype with the daughter's uh, husband who was overseas. They couldn't get online, so they go to knock knock on the door of their neighbor, and they meet for the first time. And the neighbor says, oh, I, I was scared of you. And Roseanne's like, well, we were afraid of you, too. Look at all this fertilizer. And the wife of the Muslim family goes, yeah, idiot here, my husband doesn't know how to make the quantity change in the Amazon orders. So it was a complete misunderstanding. And in fact, when they go into a grocery store and the Muslim, uh, the, the wife of the Muslim family was low on funds, you know, Roseanne gives her EBT card over to the wife and lets the difference of what she couldn't afford to be paid for out of that. When the cashier starts ripping on the Muslim girl as calling her a terrorist, That's when Roseanne rips her a new one. So it was conversations like that. I mean, I can't have a problem with that. You know, they they talked about all types of things. The opioid crisis, transgenderism, and how a family deals with it. These were discussions that... They were having these discussions on other shows, but they were forced propaganda to make you think it was normalized. Whereas with Roseanne's show, they were kind of looking at it from another direction. And that was what the progressives didn't like. You know, she was taking an approach to her TV show from the other angle, and it scared the progressive movement because of it. It provided a counterpoint to their argument, whether or not you liked her or not. So the show must be destroyed. 
And they laid in wait for the trip up. And Roseanne just basically handed them the noose. I mean, she wasn't doing herself favors by putting out that that tweet. But really, I, I don't know if that tweet was actually meant in a racist manner or if it was something that basically was to the point of uh, her looks. You know, Valerie Jarrett's looks is what she was ripping on. And that might have been, you know, not the coolest thing to do, but... You know, it's almost like what happened with Nick DiPaolo, where he made that little uh, tweet about, you know, he was so fed up with the gun, uh, you know, shootings that were going on in the schools. And also at the same time, the college faculties that were providing all this nutty indoctrination. And he says, hey, next school, school shooter, why not aim for the people in the faculty instead? And of course, he was making a joke, but it got taken out of context and he lost his job at Sirius XM. Katie Hopkins had an interesting tweet angle from it that I agree with. Speaking from experience, the cancellation of Roseanne over a tweet is not a matter of free speech. It is about not being foolish enough to give your enemies an open goal when they're lining up to take free kicks at your head. Of course, I mean, when you're in that that light, taking on this position, she probably didn't realize how fervent the left would be about destroying her. So, I mean, there you go. That's what happens. It isn't free speech. You know, the government, the, the speech that you use is protected by the government, but the consequences of that speech aren't. And so if ABC decides to fire her, so be it. That's what she gets. But I do have to question ABC because at the same time that they were firing Roseanne over what ABC thought was comments that were vile and repugnant, ESPN's affiliated with ABC, right? Under Disney, I think. So I'm not defending Roseanne on any of this, but Keith Olbermann just got his job back at ESPN. Let that sink in. Have you ever seen the tweets he said about Trump? Call, everything was an F word. And he called him Hitler. He said, go die. I mean, it was just stuff that I would get banned for if I put that out. Somehow he was able to put out a litany of it and it was no big deal. So if it's ABC's policy to not allow vile, repugnant behavior, then why are they allowing Keith Olbermann back at ESPN? Well, the reason is because ESPN has slipped in the ratings and SportsCenter has never been the same. They've slipped because they want to be woke. They want to have all these political positions they're fully unaware of. And people always hearken back to the days of SportsCenter under Keith Olbermann and Craig Kilborn. So ESPN thinks, hey, not only can we rekindle that fire in that show, but we can keep it woke at the same time. But I don't think it's going to go well. <laughs> you know, I mean, Keith Oldman hasn't been able to keep a job, but like Katie Couric and like everyone else, he gets the Katie Couric treatment, gets the rehire, no matter how good he is. But I don't think you'll, this will be the last time you'll see Roseanne. I mean, I think this show will show up somewhere because there's a lot of money to be made off of the success of that show. Someone who's enterprising enough will make it happen. Some have actually suggested that Netflix pick it up, but that ain't going to happen. I mean, Susan Rice was just added to the board of Netflix, and Obama got the television production gig from Netflix. I mean, a lot of people were boycotting Netflix, and other people on the libertarian side were saying, well, why are you boycotting Netflix? And I thought the same thing. Hey, just don't watch the show, you know? The problem is we did that with social media. We were, we were fine with social media. We're like, hey, this is a great place. We can, you know, fight our wars here online ideologically with like Twitchy and some of those things. And that was the goal of Twitchy was Michelle Malcolm started it and said, this is where the fight is. It's on Twitter and we have to mock it and show its hypocrisy on a daily basis. Well, we didn't realize social media platforms were going to be hacked, hi, hacked and hijacked by leftists, you know? so that they can turn around and throttle us down and ban us and shadow ban us and stick us off in a corner and, you know, let your conservative uh, t points be just buried under underground. Like the gay patriot who I followed, we followed each other on Twitter. He actually put out a tweet and just basically called somebody a traitor and he's suspended. He's gone. I mean, that kind of stuff. You know, Keith Olbermann can call you an effing Hitler effing Nazi, but, you know, gay patriot gets suspended for calling somebody a traitor. So we never thought that that was going to happen. And we have to look at cultural trends that the left is looking to hijack 
like the streaming platform. Here's the thing about streaming. People are always binge watching these days. And the question always comes out, what show do I watch? Well, you're more likely to take a chance on a show that you've never heard of, you know nothing about on Netflix than you will on regular terrestrial TV. Because you can watch it when you want. And you're hoping you find this new gold mine that no one has really hit on yet. So when you have the leftist controlling that platform and they start filling every show with just the most progressive ideology, you have a chance to ensnare somebody in your trap. And there you go. Progressive indoctrination goes a little further. And people are tired of it. You know, so that's why they boycott these things right off the bat. Remember, the aggressor sets the rules of the game. And it's no surprise that we should be, uh, you know, scrutiny or we should provide scrutiny over uh, the, the reasonings behind why Netflix did what it did. Because Byron York actually put it out like this. He said, how it works. The Netflix executive and wife bundles big donations to Obama in 2008. The wife is rewarded with an ambassadorship now. Netflix steers 50 million contracts to Obama through the higher ground productions, uh, cr- you know, company. So we know it's coming. The aggressor sets the rules. If they're going to sit there and lie down in floors of dirty grocery stores simply because a, a supermarket donated to a Republican candidate, then they've defined the rules of the game. Never mind that the same company that they're protesting gave money to Planned Parenthood and other pet progressive causes. But no, it's because somehow the Republican candidate is connected to the evil progressive straw man, the NRA. And even though he only has a pro-Second Amendment position, he's not an NRA guy, it's time to boycott Publix because of that. So when we see an entertainment company that should be a neutral platform giving themselves over to progressive politicians, even former administration officials, it's time to get a little concerned about what's coming down the pike. I mean, we naively sat on the sidelines during the implementation of Social media, assuming no one would distort it or hijack it, but wow, we were wrong. So do you blame people for discontinuing Netflix services with the progressive figureheads all coming over to become part of its platform? You know, the libertarian side of me was, like I said, don't watch the show. Don't give it to clicks. Don't give it to stream counts. Now realize the money for your subscription is funding part of Obama's programming, but he's a private citizen now. And they're a private business, and they can have private business transactions between the two. But you know what? You and I both know that this is not how it's going to end up. We thought sports platforms like the National Football League would be nonpartisan, neutral platforms. But look what happened there. After many people turned off and tuned out and burned jerseys and sold season tickets, all of a sudden, the owners were back at the table negotiating the, the rules over whether or not somebody can protest the national anthem by kneeling on the field. And that wasn't because... We, you know, that, that was totally because we took a stand for it. That wasn't because they had a, you know, a, a reawakening. It was a market reaction. And that was one of the things that really got me. It's, it's something uh, Michael Malice actually, you know, tweeted out, which I agreed with. You know, he said, basically, one of the worst qualities of libertarians is arguing that in a free market, ostracism and boycott will regulate behavior while simultaneously attacking everyone who attempts to use ostracism and boycott. Damn right, because you know what? That is a market reaction. If you put out crap product and we don't like it because you're offending us with your product, we don't have to buy it. You're going to feel the ratings. You're going to see the revenue decline and you're going to make either a correction or you're going to go down with the ship standing on your principles until you run out of business. That's how I look at it. So that is a market reaction boycotting or just avoiding the sales and providing that to your competitors, like not going to Dick's because they want to ban your Second Amendment rights, you know, not using Bank of America. These are all market reactions that we can have. And so many people are always like, well, we shouldn't be boycotting and we shouldn't be doing that. Well, like I said, the aggressor sets the rules of the game and they have said, this is how we're going to destroy you economically. But you know what? We have the fervent attitude to do it and be successful at it. But here's the thing. Our ideology is what dictates why we're in this position because we're libertarian or conservatives. We just want to be left alone. We want to spend time with our family. We want to watch entertainment. We're not looking to change the Constitution, but the left, the progressives, that's what their goal is, and they wake up every single day tasting it, 
devising plans, coming up with activism, because they won't stop. They want control where we want anti-control. And that's the problem is we've always sat on the sidelines because, you know, we didn't think we needed to fight for for anti-control. It was right there in the Constitution. But these people want to change that. And so now it's time to change the game. And that's what a lot of people are doing. So when something like Roseanne gets banned or gets taken off the air, even though she did that to herself, if it's something like Last Man Standing, where he didn't do anything to himself, Tim Allen was completely fine and they just pulled it because they didn't like his approach, his ideological um, angle, well, then it's time for us to start supporting those movies, those TV shows, not so much Roseanne, but Last Man Standing, things like that. That needs to be supported. And we need to start voting with our wallet a little bit more and providing real market reactions. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. Welcome back. Now, did you realize that, or were you aware, that ABC Disney took a $60 million hit over the tweet by Roseanne, by canceling Roseanne. Yeah, her tweet was awful, and they have every right as an employer or as a business partner to relinquish that. But it also speaks volumes to what I've talked about in the past, about how the news isn't concerned about ratings. They couldn't care less. They will take it on the chin financially. They, will, they don't care about revenue they don't care about ratings. They will go down with the ideology. Now, that's not the case with Roseanne, or maybe there is a little bit there. Maybe because she aligned her show's first episode as a Trump-supporting character, that was enough for them to say, hey, the moment this lady messes up, we're taking her down, regardless of the fact that, you know, it's the highest-rated show that they've had on their platform in ages. But again, we as conservatives or libertarians or conservatarians like myself, kind of a mix of both, we have to be concerned about aligning ourselves with somebody like Roseanne and acting as though they are the stalwarts of principled uh, ideology when they're not. Remember, she was running with Cindy Sheehan as a Green Party candidate in 2012. She's a Marxist. And see, we have to keep that in mind. It's the same thing as this free Tommy issue. You know, I, I've been trying to figure out, you know, figure out what's going on because on the outside, it looks bad. But the more you dig into it, it's a little bit of a different story. It's more nuanced than people are, are allowing. And there's two sides at fault here. Now, Tommy Robinson, I've played a clip of, of him in the, in the past on a, a Muslim attack issue where he actually knew the facts and the media was trying to cover it up. And he was basically railroading one of the reporters with the truth. And so I thought that was, you know, pretty good, but I didn't know that much about him, but what he was saying was pertinent to the story. Now, he's the former leader of the EDL, which is the English Defense League. They're a far, uh, far right or considered far right, whatever that means over uh, in Europe, protest movement co-founded in 2009. They're opposed to the spread of militant Islam. Now, why was he in jail? Or why is he in jail? Or why is he going to jail? Well, apparently it's 13 months in prison over contempt of court. The first arrest uh, happened on suspicion of breaching the peace by streaming a video outside the Leeds Crown Court. And this is based on the premise that he was publishing information that could uh, affect the ongoing trial. He hosted an hour-long video rant of uh, the rape trial at, uh, right outside the court. And he was originally jailed for three months for breaching the terms of a current suspended sentence and the remaining 10 months for contempt of court. So that's where the 13 comes together. He filmed himself with those involved in the trial coming out of the courts while the trial was in, you know, in session. He published it on Facebook Live, encouraged others to share it. And so, you know, he was breaking out his cell phone, videotaping, and the judge found it uh, that it created a substantial risk that the course of justice in the trial would be seriously impeded or prejudiced. The sentencing wasn't reported on initially because of reporting restrictions that have now been overturned after reporters challenged his decision. Now, Nigel Farage on his show has something to say about this. Toby Robinson has been jailed for 13 months for contempt of court. And to many people, 
This is absolute proof that we're moving into a police state, that something truly awful is happening. Um, well, you've got half of folks, but only half of one. Let's be clear. Tommy Robinson was under a court order not to interfere with the judicial process in any way at all. He chose, for reasons of self-publicity, and not to benefit anything that would help society, he chose willfully to breach that. He was warned that he was in breach of that, decided to continue. Frankly, the judge had almost no choice but to give him a jail sentence. So I think Robinson, frankly, uh, was out there asking for trouble, and I don't think it was a very bright thing to do. Now, against that, uh, let me just say uh, that there does appear to be uh, a, a very strong desire and willingness amongst much of the police and our judiciary to clamp down on people who make certain criticisms in society. And we are not dealing here with a level playing field. The whole point about religious freedom and tolerance is we should all be able to criticise and even mock each other. And I do worry that we're moving into a position where you can criticise some groups in society, but not criticise others. Uh, and I think, uh, for those of you um, who see Robinson as a hero, well, OK, maybe he does stand up for his point of view. But believe you me, his imprisonment in this case is not heroic in any way at all. And that, of course, will surprise some of you. But let me just say this finally. The fact we weren't allowed to talk about this for several days because of reporting restrictions is just a nonsense because the internet has been awash with it. And the reason is the legislation covering reporting restrictions came in in 1982 when, well, hardly anybody even had a computer. Now, the thing about Tommy Robinson is there's some background issues that we have to know to understand this guy's character and to understand that he's not exactly a choir boy. And that doesn't make what he did or what has happened to him any, you know, anything more justified. But it does give us perspective on the type of person we'd be aligning ourselves with if we just automatically get out there and go, hashtag free Tommy. Now, Katie Hopkins was talking about this on Tucker Carlson's show. Where was the swift justice for the victims of the grooming gangs. Where was the swift justice for the 11-year-old that was raped? If we can get exactly. Tommy in prison within five hours, where was the swift justice for these uh, men? And where was the swift justice for the victims? And I would also say, no matter what you think of Tommy, whether you hate him, love him, don't know him, throwing him in prison when he is a guy who's repeatedly called out majority Pakistani grooming gangs, rape squads, that is a death sentence for Tommy Robinson. And we may criticize, our government may criticize the Russians, like for getting rid of Skripal and other spies they, don't longer, they no longer want in our country. But our government knows if they put Tommy Robinson inside as they have done, and he, if he's put on an open wing, he will not survive his time inside. So I don't see how we're any different from the Russians. If this is how we're going to cleanse people I agree. that speak out against the establishment. Well, this, well, is, uh, this is very, these are dark times. Where are the, the media? And I, yeah. Where are the media in this? I mean, so again, you, you don't have to like this guy or know anything no. about him to understand what's at stake here, which is freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of the press. Why would media outlets in Great Britain go along with this gag order? Why didn't they just defy it? Go ahead and arrest us all. If this isn't a civil rights issue, then what is a civil rights issue? Well, this is where we divide, Tucker, into right and wrong, good and bad. And I have to say, I feel like majority of mainstream media right now in the UK is on the side of the bad. It is more important for them to be seen as multicultural and accepting and welcoming to our Muslim colleagues and our friends than it is to stand up for what we know is right. So it suits them much better to say, well, no, Tommy Robinson is an idiot. He was told not to be there at the court. He was still there at the court. And the law is in, in every sense justified to throw him inside. And they're it's celebrating, disgusting. just as they're celebrating with Roseanne. But actually, what we have to ask ourselves is, what happened to freedom of speech in the UK? Because I firmly believe, and it's my opinion, we no longer have freedom of speech in the UK. And I believe Tommy Robinson will be killed inside the prison. And it will be the establishment 
that have blood on their hands. And see, I get that. He may not be the, you know, the greatest person in the world, but we do have to consider free speech. Now, here in America, the Constitution protects the freedom of the press, but in England, we have to get into why they even considered this. And there is English law on the books going back to 1981 that basically covers all this. Do I like it? No, but it's their statute. Is, is the UK, you know, a fascist state? <laughs> Seems to be. But this is from The Guardian back in January 10th of 2011. United Kingdom law on, the con- on contempt is set out in the 1981 Contempt of Court Act, which applies to all publications that create a, quote, substantial risk. The course of justice will be seriously prejudiced. The 1981 Act was passed in part in response to the decision of the European Court on Human Rights in a case involving the Sunday Times and was perceived as representing a shift in the balance of the public interest in favor of freedom of speech. The law does not set out what is allowed and it does not lay down broad principles. It is a question of judgment in each case as to what may create substantial risk. The most obvious examples are revealing the defendant's previous convictions or otherwise implying guilt. Now, the actual law is, this is actually from UK's contempt laws, the strict liability rule. In this act, the strict liability rule means the rule of law whereby conduct may be treated as a contempt of court as tending to interfere with the course of justice in particular legal proceedings, regardless of intent to do so. Limitation of the scope of strict liability. This strict liability rule applies only in relation to publications, and for this purpose, quote, publication includes any speech, writing, program used in cable program service, or other communication in whatever form, which is addressed to the public at large or any section of the public. The strict liability rule applies only to publications, which creates a substantial risk that the course of justice in the proceedings in question will be seriously impeded or prejudiced. The strict liability rule applies to a publication only if the proceedings in question are active within the meaning of this section at the time of the publication, defense of innocent publication or distribution. A person is not guilty of contempt of court under the strict liability rule as the publisher of any matter to which the rule applies if at the time of the publication, having taken all reasonable care... He does not know or has no reason to suspect that relevant proceedings are active. A person not guilty of contempt of court under the strict liability rule as the distributor of a publication containing any such matter, if at the time of the distribution, having taken all reasonable care, he does not know that it contains such matter and has no reason to suspect that it likely would so. The burden of proof of any fact tending to establish a defense afforded by this section to any person's lies upon that person. Here's the contemporary reports proceedings section. Subject to this section, a person is not guilty of contempt of court under the strict liability rule in respect of a fair and accurate report of legal proceedings held in public, published contemporaneously and in good faith. In such proceedings, the court may, where it appears to be necessary for avoiding a substantial risk of prejudice to the administration of justice in those proceedings or in any other proceedings pending or imminent order that the publication of any report of the proceedings or any part of the proceedings be postponed for such period as the court thinks necessary for that purpose. So there's why Tommy Robinson was looked at as somebody who may be interfering with the court case running around with a cell phone, making videos of people in the middle of the court case, and why they didn't allow the release of any of this information to, the, to, the, you know, to be reported by the, by the news agencies over that weekend. Now, I don't agree with it. <laughs> I mean, I think it could easily violate our constitutional freedom of press, but this is England. They've become more and more fascist with their, uh, litig- with their legislation, and you know what? That's, that's their laws. So it seems to me that the judge just didn't perceive his video as a good faith reporting and merely saw it as instigating 
on video following those involved with the trial with his cell phone and didn't want the reporting to be allowed for a period of time based on that statute. So let's take a little gander at the clip in question. With so I'm at, Lee, I'm at Leeds Crown Court where these men here, where these men here, let me see. Oh, right, lads, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about your verdict? How are you feeling about your verdict? How are you feeling about your verdict? How are you feeling about the verdict? You got your prison bag, Rian? Yeah, look at you. You got your bags, You got your bags, Rian? Yeah. How are you feeling about the verdict? Well, I suck your mum's funny. Yeah, you've got no guilt. Is there any guilt? Is there any guilt, mate? Is there any guilt? Fucking done. You son of a bitch. Oh, you're fucking done. Oh, you're fucking done. So. Again, I don't agree with it, but that's their statute, and he seems to may have violated it. You know, somebody was making a, a joke online saying, you know, Tommy Robinson running around with his cell phone is is just as much just as much of a journalist as you know me spanking a monkey on on a cell phone video and saying I'm a porn star. I mean, it's a crass way of looking at it, but I see the point he's trying to make here. Now, back to the Guardian article. It says in the U.S., the power of the courts to punish for contempt by publication is extremely limited. Compare, for example, the U.K. position to the U.S. media coverage of proceedings against O.J. Simpson, Michael Jackson, Philip Spector, or that of Los Angeles Lakers uh, basketball player Kobe Bryant, charged with the rape of several young women in a hotel in Colorado. One cable uh, television station invited viewers to vote on Bryant's innocence or guilt. A U.S. judge subsequently dismissed the case against Bryant after the accused failed to testify. There is a TV channel and website dedicated to ongoing prosecutions where you can watch the trial, access the evidence, and vote on matters relating to the trial as the, quote, 13th juror. In practice, a number of matters are relevant when considering if a publication is likely to create a substantial risk of serious prejudice. If the trial involves lay assessors, such as juries, judges should be able to rise above what they've read in the papers, the likelihood of a publication coming to a potential juror's attention, its likely impact on the ordinary reader at the time of the publication, and the so-called fade factor, how far away the trial is likely to be, the longer the gap between the publication and the trial, the less substantial risk of serious prejudice is likely to be. In previous cases involving the media, gaps of three to ten months between publication and trial were held to have lessened any risk, in another case involving ITN and the, and the publication of widely circulated information that a prisoner who had escaped from jail was a convicted IRA terrorist did not ne negate the risk. Publication during the trial was clearly problematic. In June 1999, The Sun published serious allegations about a defendant in a murder trial just as they were retiring. The charge was dropped. The Sun was fined. The collapse of an assault trial involving Leeds United footballer in April of 20, uh, 2001 following publication of an interview with the victim's father, um, resulted in its editor resigning. And the paper was subsequently found guilty of contempt of court. So this hasn't been something that's never happened in England. We're just hearing about it because of Tommy. Now, here's what's the issue with aligning with this guy is. He's got serious law enforcement issues in his past. Football-related violence, Protest against uh, the FIFA's decision to stop England's football team from wearing poppies on their shirts. He was caught traveling on false documents. Jailed for 10 months for using someone else's passport to travel to the United States. Had spent his whole time in so uh, solitary confinement. Moved to four different jails because of his safety. Uh, his uh, lawyer and advocate, Charles Sherrod, had said even in solidarity, he was regarded as being in danger. Um, Mr. Sherrod said Robinson was even more in danger now, having left the EDL. He has alienated another large part of the community who saw him as their leader, he said. He said he was on the wanted list for Al-Shabaab. So the prospect of prison time takes on another level. And that's what the argument is. If they put him in jail for 13 months, he's going to die in jail at the hands of those who are in prison that he was, you know, uncovering. The court heard that Robinson's home had previously been attacked and his family moved to a safe house. So we get why he may have had aliases, because he goes by three, four different names. He was convicted for, uh, for mortgage fraud in 2014, where he basically was sentenced and pled guilty 
um, because he had admitted to two counts of conspiring with others to obtain a mortgage by misrepre- uh, misrepresentation from the Abbey and Halifax Building Societies. The judge described him as an instigator, if not the architect of some of the frauds. Passing the sentence, the judge said this was an operation which was fraudulent from the outset and involved a significant amount of forward planning. <laughs> wow. So not only that, he was, uh, he was involved with business, uh, you know, fraudulent business dealings with Stephen Valls. He's 26 from Luton, who had admitted to conspiring with others to obtain a mortgage by misrepresentation and transferring criminal property. He also admitted to possessing 3.48 grams of cocaine with intent to supply and being concerned in the supply class of a drugs. <laughs> he punched an off, going back to Tommy Davidson, he punched an off-duty police officer while drunk, losing his job as an aircraft engineer at the airport in Luton in 2003. His real name is Stephen Christopher Yaxley Lennon, goes by aliases Andrew McMaster, Paul Harris, and he claimed he used multiple aliases for his protection after threats of violence against him while in the EDL. He left in 2013 from the EDL. He said he was persuaded to leave after speaking with anti-extremist think tank Quilliam. And then he turned around and said, well, they actually paid me to leave and, and, and take the credit. He formed the UK branch of German anti-Islamist group Pegida. And he left them as well because he wanted a more middle class uh, life than the EDL. He currently works for the Rebel Media Group. But we have to really consider who we're aligning with. I mean, this guy is an activist and his organizations that he built always turn into these nationalist, uh, far extremist groups that are have toes in Nazism and toes in and uh, white supremacy and what have you. I mean, we got to really be careful. He's not a Gandhi. He did go on a hunger strike, though, when he was in jail, which was interesting. But, you know, I, just like with Roseanne, just because we have common goals and we have similar interests on certain points doesn't mean we need to make these people our flag bearers. We have to really be careful with who we are aligning ourselves with and whether or not it's a representation of our core values, or do we just have similar concerns and we're going to back with, you know, Marxists like Roseanne and we're going to and try to rush to her defense to, because her show gets pulled and that somehow is some representation of conservatism when it's not? Or we're we going to back somebody who obviously was instigating an incident, whether or not it's free speech again in the United States, I would be defending this guy going down into the jail. But He's in England. And the statute, what I just read, clearly states what he was doing. It was in violation of that statute. They need to realize that their nation is a nation that is overrun by Muslim extremists and that they're accommodating them as their government is. Their government is acquiescing to the Muslim extremists. There's ex-boxing uh, champions like Andrew or Anthony Smalls out there calling for J- Mujahideen to take over the White House and, and uh, you know take over the the head of uh, the parliament. We have to know that while all of this is going on and it's raising concerns with the citizens that live there, that we don't need to back nationalist, uh, you know, extremist groups. We don't have to give them support. We can let them do their thing and we can find our own voices to get behind. But just because he goes down for violating a statute in a nation that will jail you for posting a bad social media post we have to concern ourselves with our constitution. And though his free speech would be violated in the United States, he clearly kind of fell into it and made an ass out of himself in the, in the UK. He should have probably been up on those statutes and realized what he was doing wasn't citizen journalist journalism. It was affecting the possibility of, an ongoing trial that was already handling this matter. He, it's not like he uncovered this ring. He was there just to cause chaos. It was already being handled. So before you start putting hashtag free Tommy all over the place, check into the facts, get into the details and find out the why and the names behind it. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade broadcast. 
So as the week trudges along, we get some juxtaposition or juxtaprogressive on how the left is allowed to operate by their own set of rules. I mean, we have Roseanne basically gets canned because of her stupid tweet. And then we have Samantha B. For those who don't know who Samantha B is, she was a former uh, correspondent for The Daily Show. She was actually kind of funny when she was on that show. So I guess she decided to do a poor woman's uh, daily show on TBS called Full Frontal. So Ivanka Trump has this picture posted about, you know, her holding her son. And I mean, it's just a nice picture. And I guess there's this debate going around that we talked about um, earlier last week. Still, still somehow this debate is still out there about how Trump is ripping kids from families and immigrants and what have you, even though they used information and news reports from 2014 under Obama's uh, tenure. But she decides to make a joke about it. And this is what it sounded like. You know, Ivanka, that's a beautiful photo of you and your child. But let me just say one mother to another. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless c- He listens to you. Put on something tight and low cut and tell your father to f***ing stop it. Tell him it was an Obama thing and see how it goes, okay? We'll be right back. And what was the reaction to that? Nothing. In fact, she's getting an award from TBS. Not for that, but they're not going to take any awards away from her. She's not going to get her show canceled. That's how the left operates. The rules are for thee and not for me. The Federalist had a good take on this. It said, um, Roseanne Barr's tweet was completely and unacceptable, and ABC was absolutely right to sever ties with her over her awful comments. Yet why aren't television executives considering the same consequences for Samantha B? True, referring to a woman as a see you next Tuesday isn't racist, but it is plenty hateful. To dismiss this as her creative right is to truly embrace that we live in a time of media double standard. Imagine if a conservative host uh, referred on air to a member of the Obama family as a see you next Tuesday or, you know, for just sim- simply posting a happy photo of his family. What truly needs to be in place is a singular standard for all media, left, right, comedy or not. We should be all held to the same standard. If Roseanne can't make an ugly slur about Jarrett, then B shouldn't have allowed to be a uh, to get away with making an equally hateful comment about Ivanka. That would be the one standard rule for them all. The undeniable double standard that exists has existed for a long time and is the key factor into why Donald Trump won the electoral win that he won. People who dare speak passionately about their conservative politics are flamed for being hateful, racist, or worse. And finally, they had a candidate who said exactly what he felt like, pandered to no one, and made no apologies. As long as hypocrisy continues, more Trumpiness will ensue. And I agree. That's why he won. That's why, and they're, that's why they're losing in the midterms right now, as we talked about last week. Because they keep doing this stuff. They think it's a winning formula. Because it's the only formula they've ever known. You know, the media was emboldened the day they brought down Richard Nixon in Watergate. And from that point on, they've made every attempt by every sitting Republican president to dismantle and impeach and destroy their administration. Notice whenever it flips to the other side, suddenly it's puff pieces and, you know, Bill Clinton's playing a saxophone on, on you know, Arsenio Hall. And they're talking about what kind of underwear do you wear? Boxes of briefs. Oh, soon as we get a president like George W. Bush, it's like, oh, my gosh, everything he does is evil and racist and we got to get rid of him. Same things, you know, that was just a predictable, you know, moment. I mean, if you follow the cycle, you, you knew Donald Trump was going to have this thrust upon him, even if he was a former Democrat. It's amazing. But you know what? Samantha B is going to still be employed. How about Joy Reid from AM Joy or whatever the heck it is on MSNBC? Well, you know, she's had all these homophobic blog posts brought back up. Nothing, you know, nothing to see there. In fact, she was kind of acquitted by her own side. Oh, yeah, I was hacked. Oh, no, you weren't. The FBI looked into it, and guess what? You weren't hacked. Your own tech people looked into it, and they said you weren't hacked. Would you write it in your sleep on Ambien? Because that's what Roseanne said she did. But we find more stuff about Joy Reid from BuzzFeed. MSNBC host Joy Reid's now-defunct blog published 
an image of Senator John McCain's head photoshopped onto the body of the Virginia Tech shooter, according to a new, newly discovered post reviewed by BuzzFeed News. The October 2007 post titled Baghdad John Strikes Again discusses the infamous claim from McCain, then that the GOP president nominee, that he would follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell. And the image appears at the end of the post, which apparently was penned by Reid. Now, see, that's the thing. Remember, John McCain was the maverick when he was speaking out against his own party for years. And the moment he threw his hat in the, in the ring, he had a, you know, a, a illegitimate black son, and he's Baghdad Jim with his head photoshopped on a freaking uh, a school massacre shooting uh, uh, suspect. You know, it just goes to show you that no matter who you are, if you become a GOP president or candidate, they will destroy you. And then they'll go back to pretending you're, you know, somebody worth listening to once you decide to Jeff Flake yourself, you know, or maybe you want to Trey Gowdy yourself and dismiss everything that we've seen and learned behind the scenes that is hopefully going to come out about how the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton's campaign basically tried to, you know, create espionage against Trump's administration and they're doing so to cover up all of their past transgressions that will hopefully come out. But we'll see. But Trey Gowdy's out there and throwing, you know, that under the bus with false information. But he's the same guy that did nothing on Benghazi. He talks really loud and says really cool stuff. And he'll shout you down like Chris Christie shouting down a school teacher. But nothing ever happens from that guy. He's a freaking, he's just a waste. So goodbye, Trey. We'll see you later. But the same thing with the Maverick. Uh, John McCain and with Jeff Flake and all those morons, you know, if they're on your, if they're on the left side, they will be praised. But guess what? The media still hates you. They're just using you as useful idiots. Now, here's an observation I made about the state of comedy and how it relates to Samantha B. You know, shows like SNL, they left tons of material on the cutting room floor, especially Joe Biden. I mean, over eight years, you could have done tons of stuff, but they only made fun of the right. And they've come across humorless because it's just anger-filled, you know, material, just as Samantha Bee's skit was. And this isn't because it simply makes fun of the right. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, it's anger-filled because they're joking on us. It's because their jokes are built on disgust for the right. The jokes are rooted in animosity and anger, and those don't work. You know, not to mention, the best comedy is built off of truth, not off of a narrative that you crafted and pretended was truth used as a foundation of sand to write jokes upon? See, I've been a connoisseur of comedy for years. I'm talking Dave Attell, Nick DiPaolo, Patton Oswalt. I mean, I can go down the list, you know. But even sketch comedy shows, Kids in the Hall, Mr. Show with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. And outside of Nick DiPaolo, whose show was great, you couldn't listen to it around your kids. It was kind of nice to hear somebody that had the comedic talent of the other side and the vitriol that he can whip up from them just by saying certain things and hearing it come from the right point of view. Um, outside of him, most of those comedians are on the political opposite side of mine. You know, on, on, they're diametrically opposed to my political beliefs, but their material was hilarious. And I can respect that because it, even if it's pointed at me, I can laugh because I don't get offended easily. I don't take myself too seriously. But lately, it's all pointed at us, and it's not for laughs. It's like demeaning somebody, like bullying somebody. Demeaning someone in anger, you know, hoping everybody points along and laughs with them. You know, like Michelle Wolf did with her horrible, hate-filled roast. Oh, that was a roast. No, it wasn't. I've seen roast. I've watched, you know, Comedy Central roast, uh, you know, David Hasselhoff and uh, just down the line. And guess what? They picked on them, and they picked on everything, and it was hilarious because it was all from truth. But not that. That was just a ripping on, I mean, they were ripping on her looks, you know, at the nerd prom, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I mean, it, it was just tasteless. And most of it these days is just virtue signaling and point scoring for the left. Hey, look what I did. Oh, yeah, you, you got a good punch in there. And until comedians quit simply being humor activists, like the late night TV shows, Jimmy Kimmel et al., Seth Meyers, whatever, it's only going to get worse. And that's why I've tuned out. I want comedians like Pablo Francisco, who can, doesn't take himself seriously and doesn't make it partisan. He jokes on everybody. But you can't do that now. You got to tiptoe in the club. That's what Chris Rock said. I saw Ralphie May before he passed away. God rest his soul. And he pointed out how college campuses and comedy clubs are extremely difficult these days because of PC culture. But 
PC outrage, you know, doesn't exist if you play by the leftist rules. You support their side, mock those they disagree with, prop up their positions. If you do this, you have free reign to do whatever you wish to the right. And people like me are tired and the pendulum's swinging and boycotts will occur. And we are now the counterculture because we are the rebels. Our views are the ones that are basically oppressed and, you know, shunned. So as far as, you know, our views are concerned, we are the counterculture. We are the rebellion. And they're going to turn off SNL, late night TV, Netflix comedy specials. Now it's now that it's run by Susan Rice and Obama and what at all. I mean, this is why you have Kanye West out there publicly scratching his head on Twitter going, are we supposed to all just group think? It's why you have a, com- a comedic genius like Ricky Gervais uh, tweeting things like, when did it become more fashionable to undermine and discredit someone who disagrees with you other than to offer a reasoned and winning counter argument? I don't know, Rick. I mean, think about Bill Hicks. This guy was overtly politically left. He ended his shows by pretending to be assassinated by being shot in the head. But he was hilarious because he didn't just demean. Once the left realizes they can't simply control culture by assuming everyone automatically believes your stance is the popular opinion and everyone who doesn't acquiesce to it will be shamed, you're never going to win this fight. You're going to continue to yell in your echo chamber and the midterms are going to continue to go away in your favor. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out my podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, uh, TuneIn app, iHeart. Get the free Roku channel in your streaming store, Adrian Slade Show Roku channel, and maybe donate. Patreon.com slash Adrian Slade. You pick the amount. You can donate for $2 a month or pick whatever amount you wish, and you'll get exclusives. Until next time, we'll see you.